Talking Roundtable this afternoon on the Jays Journal Podcast. With me are Chris Henderson, Eric Rosenheck, and Cole Shelton. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure having you join me. So let's look at the Blue Jays now. I mean, the All-Star game was a nice break, an exhibition game, and now we've got to get down to business. And the Tigers, the Red Sox, the Indians, they're serious baseball teams. They may be flawed baseball teams. We know that, too. But we're looking at this road trip, and I'm, I'm going to start with Eric. What does this mean? Like, it seems like every group of games, I keep referring to, let's say, an eight-game homestand, a 12-game road trip. I feel like this is the fourth time this year I've had to prepare for the fact that this could be the most important stretch. Well, to be honest, it's going to be the most important stretch until the next most important stretch, to be honest with you. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, that's just how the season's gone. It's been a very, very inconsistent season. So just when we think they're going to go one direction, they suddenly do a U-turn, and we think, well, maybe there might be something still there. So it's it's just hard to say. And you know what? We're just going to have to – You know, we're not fortune tellers, and we're just going to have to let the games play themselves out. Uh, We've seen what the Jades can do in the second half, so we're just going to have to sit back and and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, and, you know, I agree with you. Um, But that said, the one element, of course, that's with the importance of these games is that I think this road trip is really going to – it's one one part or one thing that I am concerned about or excited about, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, is that this road trip kind of takes us to a point where they're at the trade deadline, essentially. By the time they're coming home, they'll have less than a week um, to operate. So I, I really feel like if they come away with this from this road trip uh, with a losing record, then uh, it just makes the team much more likely to be sellers. And, uh, you know, to what degree, we'll see. But, you know, at this point, I'm surprised because what I'm reading this morning is, you know, they had scouts watching Sonny Gray last night and, you know, picking up Mick Montero before the – all-star break. They, they're not acting like sellers at all. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens because if they can go ahead and take six or seven or eight of the, these games on this trip, then who knows? We could be serious buyers. I, who knows? I think it's definitely an important stretch with just like they said, because um, if you have a losing record, you only have like what the four game series against Oakland, I think left before the all-star break. But then I, like they might be sellers if they get like the losing record, but then I could see them be like kind of buyers. It like they sell off, like they'll try to trade like a Strahd and Liriano, the guys that are free agents. But like, and I could see them try to trade for like a controllable starting pitcher through like 2018 because they still want to go like forward in 2018. I don't think it's gonna be like a huge rebuild. They may just sell off like the free like the upcoming free agents. Yeah, and I'd agree with that, you know, and, and I was concerned a couple of weeks ago that that uh, they might strip it right down to a full-on rebuild, and and just based on what I'm seeing uh, lately, it doesn't appear that that's going to be the case, and obviously a 180 can happen at any time, but pursuing somebody like Sonny Gray, I don't actually think that the Blue Jays are going to trade for him, but he's a good example of a guy who's, uh, I think he's 27 years old right now, he's got two years left of control, like he's got two years left of arbitration, so that's the kind of guy that if the Blue Jays are serious about trying to compete in 2018 and 2019, I, I agree with you, uh, Cole, that uh, they may trade guys like Estrada, Lugano, Batista, guys that are on expiring contracts. But it looks like they're trying to angle towards next season, which is something I think the fans should be happy about. We know, realistically, this team has very, very few actual tradable assets. I mean, let's face it, we're talking about them wanting to be buyers, being seriously considered now at this stage as maybe sellers, but it seems to me like they're both very, very weakened positions compared to other 
franchises with big payrolls. You know, you look at what the Cubs did. The Cubs did what they did, whether a person believes it was the right move, because they could. They have a deep farm system. They have a large payroll, and they're willing to take on the kinds of contracts to help them win now. Eric, do you think, knowing that aside from maybe Donaldson, Happ, and Estrada as really legitimate tradable assets, because talking about trading Marcus Stroman is only what silly folk like Buster Olney enjoy doing, Knowing they have such few assets, can they realistically be considered any kind of impactful buyer? You know, it's tough to call. It is tough to call, and you're absolutely right. Donaldson and Hap are probably the most valuable pieces that they have. Um, I mean, if they really want to be, if they really want to dive in and be buyers, then, you know, they're going to have to sort of flaunt out Bo Bichette and, and Vladdy Guerrero. But I don't think there's any... Blue Jay fan or reporter or writer on this planet that wants them to wants to see them to do that. Even though you know prospects are really just crapshoots, uh, to be honest. But you know, no, I would agree. It's 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 tough to say. But you know, there are probably a lot of teams that are willing to pay king's ransom for for Josh Donaldson. So you know, if they do end up sellers, you know, they could you know definitely boost up their farm system through a trade with Donaldson. I do think the Blue Jays have. Um... I think they got some more value in the system than people give them credit for. But I think as much as, um, you know, I don't, I wouldn't even consider for a moment trading either, either Bichette or Guerrero. Um, but I think there is enough other talent. I just don't think that other teams are going to be willing to accept it. You know, you look at the guys like, you know, say a Bradley Jones or, uh, I mean, there's, there's plenty of guys that are performing in the minor leagues right now. But, um, you know, when you're talking about an impactful player, like a, say a Sonny Gray, um, the A's are going to be asking for the best, and and if the Blue Jays are have any sense in their head at all, they're not going to consider uh, trading those two guys in the, on the bottom rungs there. So like, I don't think they should trade Bichette or Guerrero, but if they do, like, you still they still do have prospects you trade. You could trade Rowdy Tello if you get an arm. You could you could look to trade Dwight Smith or Anthony Alford, who have they both like contributed in the MLB. And they look like they could be ready next year. And if a team wants that like young player ready to like step in, they could trade any of those three to get like a controllable arm. But like I don't think you're gonna get that huge guy without trading like the Shadow Girl, which I don't think they should do. I think we're grasping the straws, it sounds like. I don't think it's realistic to expect this organization to make the kind of drastic move to take this team over the top, knowing it's it's a huge risk. I mean, can we let me ask you this, Cole? If I were to tell you that this team could go out and get a top rank starter or a top rank position player, would you see them as being ready to contend for the division crowd? Is the team good enough even if they add the part that all fans deep down inside want them to? I think you have to give it like I want to see if how like Sanchez can pitch and Strada can pitch post the All Star break because Sanchez. He's been hurt, and Estrada was on, like, he was not pitching good. So I think mm-hmm. they have to stay healthy, and their pitching has to be good for them if they get, like, a top guy to contend. But then I still think they dug themselves such a big hole that, like, it'll be hard to, like, get that division. But the wild card, I definitely think they could get. And then it's just a who knows from there. Yeah, like, there's a lot of factors that have to go into it. And, you know, I haven't uh, looked at the standings, but last time I did check, there were several teams still uh, competing for the wild card spot. So there yeah. aren't a lot of teams that are pretty much selling right now, and everyone's, you know, 
everyone's still in it. So it's hard to say who's going to be willing to sort of make big moves during the uh, as, as July 31st approaches. Yeah, and I like the point that Cole made too. You know, the Blue Jays are fortunate and unfortunate in that they're kind of getting a player, you know, in the second half by getting Aaron Sanchez back in the rotation. So that's a huge – it should be a huge yeah. lift for the team. And you're right. If Marco Estrada can turn things around, that's the second guy that – has offered us virtually nothing the last six, seven weeks. Um, so if you can get those two arms going, um, that makes a significant difference already. But beyond that, as far as like finding one player, uh, I don't think there is one player that can make that difference for this team the way they performed in the first half. They would need those performances from guys that they were expecting anyway. But even, you know, if you added Mike Trout even to the roster in the first half, I don't think it would have made the difference. And as much as I think Mike Trout is an incredible baseball player, um, one guy, baseball is not a one-man game like, say, basketball, where you know LeBron James can put a bunch of scrubs around him in Cleveland early in his career and make the NBA Finals. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way in baseball. Boy, I, I'd like to take what you just said and and put that as the as the you know sound file when you boot up your Microsoft Windows PC or or on your uh, notebook because that that's a reminder for fans to understand that you've got to look to what happens not in the present but also for the future because knowing that it's a game where you have to construct a full roster of position players, starters, relievers, catchers, backup catchers. There's so many components that go into being a world championship team. And if you look at the last few World Series winners, they've all been on the fringes of what you'd call maybe or super team. Definitely last year with Chicago, but even those Giants teams were just really well-constructed baseball clubs. And then when you read about somebody like a Pablo Sandoval being signed, and now they've released him with $95 million owing, you understand what kind of an investment game that franchises play with one another with their players to see whether or not they can get the kind of results they're hoping for. There are never any guarantees. Eric, I'm wondering, could you argue that when you make investment errors like the, the Sandoval signing, or if you look at it from a hockey perspective with what David Clarkson was for the Toronto Maple Leafs, does that mistake-prone approach, these errors, destroy the team's relationship with the fans? And, and should, we be, should we really be paying attention to these kinds of mistakes in the way that we appreciate our team? Well, to be honest, I don't know if, if it would wreck the relationship with the fan, with the team, between the team and the fan. I think it would more affect the relationship between, between the, the fans and you know, the front office, the general manager, the president. You know, I think back to Alex Anthopoulos, and I remember way back in 2012, uh, people were ready to, you know, get rid of this guy. There were people who were actually calling for him to be fired. And then, you know, he makes the blockbuster trades of Florida, or excuse me, uh, Miami and the Mets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, say what you want with how everything turned out. Um, You know, that kind of got him bought bought some love back from the fans. And, of course, 2015, let's face it, it, we got got really spoiled with how well things turned out. And it just turned around people's perspective of Alex Anthopoulos. I mean, he's he's probably going to be viewed as a god in this city for for hundreds of years, to be honest with you. Um, In terms of bad investments, you know what? It happens. It happens. Um, You can also look at J.P. Ricciardi. Uh, You think about A.J. Burnett or Frank Thomas. Uh, and we'll never, you know, we won't, we won't acknowledge that, you know, he also picked up Edwin and he picked up Jose. So I really think it just depends on, yeah. it really kind of involves the general manager and the, and the, um, and the front office. Yeah. And, and I wrote an article that I published here on Saturday um, about Sandoval. And I don't know if you guys remember, but the Blue Jays were actually after him in that 2014 <laughs> off season. And, you know, thank, 
<laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I think they went with a better better uh, decision. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, and it was so funny, you know, and I should almost pull it up in front of me because the timeline for events that happened there was, was pretty tight. I mean, we um, signed Russell Martin, I think it was on November the 18th, and then Sandoval signed with Boston, I think it was on November the 25th, and then the 28th was when the Blue Jays made the trade for Josh Donaldson. So there was obviously a lot of balls in the air at that point, and just thinking about how wrong or how badly it could have gone had uh, one or two other decisions been made. My goodness, like, um, if you know, if we'd signed Sandoval, chances are Russell Martin doesn't get signed. Uh, Josh Donaldson obviously doesn't get traded for, and we don't make the playoffs for two years. There's no way. So that one decision could just could have been just catastrophic for the franchise. <laughs> I called the article, the Blue Jays dodged a bullet with Panda. It's so, it's so hard, too, because, like, Sandoval, he was, like, he was so good in San Francisco. No one it, like could have thought like this slide was happening. Like his weight was an issue, but like he was still a good hitter. And then like he just went downhill so fast. Like San Francisco, like they would have wanted him back. Oh, it's just it's so hard just to like it, to project it is what I think you're saying. At the end of the day, how, how yeah. do you project a player that? And I agree with you. When Sandoval had his great years and was MVP in the playoffs, all you could think about is what an asset he'd be to your team, right? But but then the next thing you know, his weight issue hasn't completely disappeared. And then there's this startling regression. And then you kind of wonder, well, how do these other players, like the Beltres of the world, take care of themselves? You know, he's not a small player, and yet he's remained a, a phenomenally consistent hitter What's your take on that, Cole? Why are some hitters just able to play well into their, you know, late 30s, early 40s, while others start to drop off at 31, 32? It's it's such like it's such a big question. Um, it could be like the ballpark they play in, uh, like where they're hitting in the or like the batting order. Who's behind them? If they get good pitches to hit, if they're batting like sixth and the seven, eight, nine aren't good hitters, chances are they're they're not going to get many good pitches to hit. Yeah, it could be just simple genetics. To be honest, I mean, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. some some players can stay in shape all the way till they're forty, and some you know sometimes just regression just happens early. It's just um, you know a fact of life. To be honest, yeah, and I totally agree with that. And you know, you look at a guy like Devin Travis. Um, I don't think anybody would say that he's got that he's lazy or he's got a poor attitude, but his his knees just haven't been holding up for him so far in his career, and hopefully that'll change. Um, but you know. In other cases, you look at somebody like Beltre, and he's been a noted um, workhorse in the gym, and is you know on top of his fitness, and and uh, was really on top of that. In the case of Sandoval, the guy got his big contract, and and he wanted out of San Francisco at the time because they were putting weight restrictions and uh, trying to get him to you know eat on certain diets and stuff, which was really, frankly, for the betterment of his health and the betterment of his career. Uh, there's no ex- there's no excuse for being out of shape when you're being paid 19 million dollars a year. So. Yeah. I don't feel bad for Sandoval at all. And to look at somebody like Beltre is just all the more reason why, why Pablo should be ashamed of himself. Like, it's just uh, to let your weight get out of control like that when you're, when you're getting paid that much and you have a medical staff right there that's willing to help you. That's just pure laziness and apathy. And uh, thank God Blue Jays don't have to deal with him. He did give us a good laugh, though, uh, last year when uh, R.A. Dickey threw him a knuckleball and he swung right and uh, swung missed and his belt came off. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, sent well, that that gif uh, mm-hmm. or gif or however you say it. I sent that to a lot of my friends that are Red Sox rooters, and yeah, I enjoyed that for a while. 
Well, and Red Sox fans can't be very pleased with what's what's happened there, but uh, I don't think they're too worried. Their team is trending exactly where I thought they'd go. I want to ask uh, the three of you and maybe start with Eric. Uh, Jose Bautista came out in the media yesterday and said that he basically wants uh, management to keep this group together. Some nice sentiments in that regard, along with some really interesting timing and words, because nothing that comes out of Jose Bautista's mouth is usually random. He's a very, very calculating fellow in, in the way he deals with the fans and the media. Is this a, is this a rallying cry to salvage the year? Is that how you interpreted his words? Um, to be honest, I'm not surprised he said that. First of all, he gave a great smile, which is uh, all which has completely gone viral. Um, and second of all, I mean, I mean, the thing is, what what is he? You know, it's not he can't say. Well, I, I think we need to rebuild. No player is going to say that. Um, no player is going to say, well, I just don't think that this is going to work out. Um, Jose is, you know, kind of saying the right things with that. And, yeah, there is a little bit of subtext he's trying to get across. But, um, you know, I, I'd be more concerned if he was saying, yeah, I think it's time to rebuild and trade everybody. Yeah, I agree with you, on the, especially on the subtext point. And, uh, you know, for a guy like Batista, uh, this is a crucial point. You know, if this roster decides to rebuild, then he's, there's a very very small chance that they'll they'll consider bringing him back next year, and as we saw in the off season this last year, there wasn't the kind of interest for for him that he was hoping for. So uh, selfishly for his own career, the best thing that could happen is for the Blue Jays to stay competitive and to keep this window open because that's going to make him more money, keep him on a relevant team, and uh, it's just going to be better for him in every way. So. Uh, I do think, obviously, he's unselfishly wants the team to do well as well, but uh, selfishly, he, he definitely stands to gain if the Blue Jays are, doing, are more competitive. Yeah, yeah, and like both of them said, what no player is going to come out and say like, "Oh, our team's not good enough to make the playoffs." Every player on every team believes their team is good enough to win. So, like Bautista just said, like what everyone would have expected, and like Chris said, um, he wants to stay on a competitive team because there is a like, there's a chance that if the Jays want to keep him in 2018, Bautista might be back. They might bring him back another one-year deal. Who knows? But, like, if they if they rebuild, they're not going to bring him back. Then what is the market for him? Well, I, I, I really found the timing of his words fascinating and also the reasons behind it. Because if you think about it, Jose Bautista at this stage in the game really can't benefit or lose unless he goes out and actually performs for his own interests, regardless of what the team is doing. If he does extremely well in the second half, he might get some interest from from suitors next year, um, including the Blue Jays. And if he struggles mightily, then it was a a one-year, one-off attempt by the team to try to keep a player that is climbing up the RBI charts. You know, you just tied my my hero, childhood hero, George Bell, for RBIs. Um, I, I just found it very fascinating listening to him talk about it in a way where he really has no reason to say it other than his own desire to maybe try to find one last competitive year and what might be the end of his tenure as a Blue Jay. Is, is he going to come back next year one way or another? Chris, what do you think? I, the only way I can see him returning is if the team feels that they can compete. And, you know, what did he get, $18.5 million this year? Um, mm. I, I don't think he's going to get anywhere near that, whether it's from the Blue Jays or anyone else. I do think the Blue Jays will be willing to pay him more than, than most other franchises, but Unless the team views themselves as a competitor next year, I don't see a point in bringing them back other than, other than uh, you know, a fan or a nostalgia thing, I guess. But um, I, I don't see it happening. Uh, it's, even if they are competitive, maybe, you know, it would have to be a discount. You know, if, he, if he's willing to sign a one-year $10 million deal next year to join a contender, maybe. 
but otherwise I, I don't I don't see it. Uh, you know, selfishly, I'd love it if they brought him back and if he's retired as a Blue Jay. But, you know, that's just my heart talking. My head says, you know what, if it's time to move on, it's time to move on. You know, Ari, you talked about George Bell. And I've been thinking about Bell and Barfield and Mosby. You know, when they first made that first playoff run in 85, they were the three, you know, they were the the main, uh, the big stars of the team, them and Fernandez. And yet, you know, over that time, you know, they had to evolve. And by the time they won that first world series, none of those players were here. So it's just kind of evolution and retooling. So, you know, Batista is kind of in that frame where, you know what, maybe he's part of that journey, but he won't be right there at the end when they achieve the significant goal. I don't can't see him being back. Cause I think they want to like give Alfred a look. And then if he takes over, say right field, so where do you put Batista? If you have smoke and Morales at first base, as like DH. So there's not really a spot for him to play. And, but, like, I could see the Jays maybe just giving him, like, a one-year, like, $10 million, like Chris said, and just be, like, just kind of, like, on the team. He'll play, like, the odd game at right field, off the bench, just so he can, like, retire a Jay. Because he is one of, like, the best Jays of all time. And could we say, just for argument's sake, that he was kind of the backup option because they really wanted Dexter Fowler? Oh, absolutely. I think he was a backup option to Fowler and to Carnacion. Well, and as far as backup options go, uh, Eric, I like the analogy that you drew with those Blue Jays that had to lay down the bricks, you know, the foundation in order for the for the 1992 and 1993 teams to to get over the hump. And and I think there is some of that, um, especially when when you think of Tony Fernandez, who was a player that the organization simply coveted from the day they discovered him as a 13-year-old in, you know, the sandlots of San Pedro de Macarés. So uh, if you think about it, Jose Bautista became a star because he was a Blue Jay, and the Blue Jay became relevant in this city because of Jose Bautista. And I think the organization understands that, especially the upper management ownership group, you know, uh, Edward Rogers. He knows that if not for what Bautista was able to do during those horribly lean years of really bad baseball, then we never would have had the opportunity, I think, in the last couple of years to appreciate what the Blue Jays were able to do as a, as a real baseball team. Um, you hit, sorry, you hit the nail ahead. right on the head. Because I, I always feel that when you're looking back at this era of Blue Jays baseball, which I would say it starts from the end of the 2009 season, ground zero of that history of that era starts with two people, A.A. and, and Jose Batista. Yeah. Agreed, totally. And, I, you know, I think what you said there, Ari, with uh, the, the front office appreciating him, I think I honestly think that's why he got the contract he did last year. Um, you know, obviously he was a, a backup option, like we talked about, for some of the other people that they were pursuing. But uh, even to pay him $18.5 million for the, the year, I, I, didn't, I can't imagine that anybody else was offering that much money. I know there was other reports that the Rays and other teams were interested, but, um, you know, I think the Cleveland was interested at one point. But, but I felt like they... It was one of those cases where I was like, well, we have a little bit of payroll because we didn't. We struck out on who we were after, so we have the money. Let's uh, reward this guy who's been crucial to the franchise, which I'm okay with. But uh, I just felt like, it, you know, I was surprised that he got as much money as he did, and I don't think he'll get, get anywhere near that next year, whether it's in Toronto or somewhere else. Yeah, I can't see him making a whole lot either. I think, like, what do you think, like, a good market is, like, 13, 14 maybe for him? He's- yeah, it all depends, you know. Uh, I would, if I was the GM, I wouldn't spend any more than that. That's for sure. 
if I'm a baseball GM, I'm also looking at his inconsistency, and that's that's going to keep me away. I don't want a baseball player who three months of the year hits under 200, and the other three months overcompensates with you know a, a 450 on base percentage. I think his lack of consistency has hurt him enormously, but there's no question that there'll be a team who will find him uh, as a valuable asset, and by then it'll be his you know one or two years before he finally retires. Uh, and goes into the sunset. Um, guys, this has been an excellent round table. I have one more question that I want to pose and I'll, I'll start with Cole and we'll go around the table. Uh, I was thinking about the fact that baseball in many respects has modernized for better and for worse. Um, it's always encouraging. I think when it learns from mistakes, like for example, the all-star game, it's an exhibition game and should be. So the fact that it was something that we had to endure as determining the outcome of home field advantage in the world series was as absolutely ridiculous as a, a fan exasperatingly can accept, I think. Um, but they also make mistakes for every good thing they do. For example, getting rid of the intentional walk the way they have, um, how, how long to change replays. The game is, I think still too long and can be very boring but now this year, home runs are flying at a record pace. There are more injuries than ever before, blister complaints, uh, guaranteed contracts, the likes that we are anticipating that we've never, ever seen before, bad decisions left, right, and center on a business level. Cole, how do you feel about what the game is today? Are you happy with what the, the product of baseball is at the highest level? Um, I definitely think it is a bit too long because if they're trying to attract like the younger generation – uh, not a lot of people have like the like are gonna want and sit there for three and a half four hours. Some games are going to to watch like a one nothing game, but with like the increase of home runs, it's brought more excitement to the game. But like with that, like people are saying that's what's causing the blisters, which it might be the ball, it might just be like how they're adjusting their grip or like the weather. But I do think baseball's in a good spot right now, especially after changing the All Star game, which was awful i don't know why they would ever make that part of the world series or like to be honest the sport's never going to be perfect and you know there's a number of ways you could try it but there's always going to be some kind of complaint um you know one thing i've always noticed or in the last recent years is that you know our society craves quick and aggressive results and items and things and baseball just doesn't really conform to that um so you can certainly make different ways to to you know come up with different suggestions to get fans but it's you know it's never going to be a perfect suggestion and no matter how hard uh people are going to try you know the game is going to be what it is it's never you know you want to we all would love a two and a half hour game but you know sometimes it's going to go into three three hours three and a half hours and you know there's going to be a lot of pitching changes maybe that's one thing they can limit but still um you know the games are going to be played the way they're going to be played. And, you know, quite frankly, despite all its flaws, it's still a beautiful sport. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's, I'm going to give you a shameless plug here for a second, Ari. I'm just thinking back as we're, as I'm listening to this about um, your podcast interview with uh, Jackie Redmond. He asked her kind of a similar question and I loved her answer because uh, she said something to the effect of, uh, you know, yes, baseball is a long game, and when you look at it in the large scope of things, yes, it's a long game, and, and it can be kind of boring. But when you break it down, I don't find it boring, but I understand why certain people do. But uh, when you break it down and you look at an individual at bat as one event, and you look at it as she talked about how the momentum and the excitement builds throughout the game until that crucial moment in the game. And uh, I agree with her 100%. And, you know... 
I, I struggle with the, the whole instant gratification wave of the world these days. And, and uh, while I do think baseball has to be aware of that and continue to try and attract a young fan base, I, I don't want them messing with my game too much more than they already have. I don't know. I, I personally hate the, the uh, intentional walk rule. It just it drives me nuts every time I see it. But I'm a bit of a purist. Maybe people just need to go to more ball games because when I'm at a ball game, if it goes three and a half hours, you know, it doesn't feel like three and a half hours because there's so much going on, so much excitement, so much discussion and, well, you know, so much beer. But that's a whole other thing. Um, You know, I think it's more I think people are more commenting about how long it is when they're watching it on TV and, and that, you know, maybe maybe it's just you have to be there and breathe in the air and have a few hot dogs and, and, you know, have some buddies out there and, you know. One thing I'd get rid of is the 40-man roster expansion because in September that would take too long. They have so many pitchers. I think you should like you ha- you could expand 40, but you have to declare like a certain amount of pitchers that you can like play that game. Because like you the need Yankees to make it more strategic. September, was, is that enough? Yeah, well, like last September the Yankees were, were pretty much like every other batter. It was a new pitcher because they had like 20 pitchers to go through. Interesting. So that so that goes down to. You know, it's funny. I asked more on the business side, but you guys gave me some fantastic reflections on the strategic nature of the game. And I agree. I don't find a two and a half, three hour baseball game boring. But my concern is what the next generation of front office baseball leadership, you know, Manfred and on, do to keep the game fresh, exciting without getting rid of those organic qualities that we like. I mean, Chris, you brought up the intentional walk. How how amazing is it to think that when a pitcher has to throw four baseballs out of the strike zone to let a runner actually get on base, that that runner could then potentially either hit the ball or watch the ball be thrown away? Isn't that what we love about baseball, that for a predictable game, it's probably the most unpredictable organic game? I remember being a pitcher, you know, in my youth, and that was the most stressful thing I had to do in any given game was, you know, I could, you know, throw a a fastball high and tight didn't bother me at all, but to lob one to the catcher to put a man on first base, uh, for some reason, it was, it was a stressful thing. And I know a lot of other pitchers felt the same. And, uh, to me, I don't know, I tune in and just wait for, for a pitcher to lean out across. Like, you know, I'm thinking of Miguel Cabrera a few years ago that just whacked one into right field when everybody was kind of, wasn't expecting it. And I love it. I, I absolutely love that kind of stuff. You know, you talked about making the game fresh and exciting, you just need superstar players to do that. You know, think about what Michael Jordan did for the NBA in basketball. The NBA didn't come up with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan came to the NBA and, and, you know, made it what it is today. Um, You know, if you have exciting players like Aaron Judge, and if that exciting player is in New York, for example, you know, that's all you need. That's all you you really need. If there's some exciting ball players and some cool things happening on the field, people will come. And sorry to jump back right back in, but I think you hit the nail on the head. The fact that uh, Aaron Judge is in New York, uh, you know, you think about guys like uh, Mike Trout, who's one of the best baseball players we've seen in decades, but uh, he just doesn't, at least in where I'm at, he doesn't get the kind of exposure that a guy with that kind of talent should get. So you put him in a bigger market like, uh, you know, with Judge in New York, and uh, that's going to be good for baseball. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where guys like Trout and Harper and Machado and Donaldson end up. Uh, with their next contracts, but uh, that could be a, a good thing for baseball. As much as I don't even like to think about Donaldson in another jersey, um, you're, you're right. Michael Jordan changed the landscape of basketball. Uh, Vince Carter did the same thing in Canada with the Raptors. Uh, one player can make it, you know, a generational player can make a difference. 
You know, I just had a shiver thinking about uh, Aaron Judge and Bryce Harper all wearing pinstripes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Star Wars 9. That's a, that's a whole <laughs> yeah. new trilogy of how baseball gets absolutely dominated by two of the most pound-for-pound talented players that it has to offer. Um, but, you know, how much... How, how horribly can one feel knowing that there is no salary cap? The Blue Jays theoretically could spend $300 million if they chose to. And considering the kind of free agents that will be available, I'm going to start with you, Eric. Do you think the Blue Jays should take advantage of the upcoming 2018 free agency period to seriously participate in what will be a nuclear arms race for baseball talent? It doesn't hurt to kick the tires, to be honest. You know, but it just... It's, it's, you know, the Blue Jays are a little bit different in terms of their ownership. They're just one part of a huge conglomerate, and each little parts of that conglomerate have uh, have certain spending limits. And you know, if if uh, Mark Shapiro can go to the board and say, "Hey, let's uh, let's throw a lot of change at this guy," I'm sure they would be interested in doing it. But uh, you know, it's 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 doesn't hurt to at least try. I'm with you on that too. Um, and, and I think the market will dictate what happens um, as far as where, how heavily the Blue Jays get in. I'm not a fan of spending $30 million or more on, on a player. You know, Harper, there's been talk of just astronomical numbers when his contract comes up, and the same with Trout. I'm not a big fan of committing that, kind of, that much of a payroll to one player, but when there are that many key free agents available at the same time, it's entirely possible that um, we see the market dip a little bit for somebody. You know, say, you know, say Harper gets the massive contract, Machado gets the massive contract, and uh, you know, the big buyers with a huge budget are looking at Josh Donaldson and going, well, you know, he's 33. Well, maybe that's when the Blue Jays can swoop in and go, well, here, Josh, you know, we will pay you pretty well, <laughs> you know? So I think that's where they, they're going to, that's to me, that's going to be the, the big thing is if they get, if they see a potential quote unquote bargain in that market, um, you know, Donaldson can probably, if he was a free agent this coming off season, he'd, he'd probably be pushing that 30 million mark, but uh, in the same free, uh, same off season as some of the other guys, I don't know that he would. Yeah. I think the Jays should look at like maybe some starters. Cause if they do, like so often trade Leonardo Estrada, they're gonna need like a a nice like like not a top guy. They should definitely look at like the third like a third guy. But they should definitely like check in on the big names because getting a big name it will help sell tickets too. It will help keep fans because a lot of these fans are from like 2015 when they started winning. And if they start to lose, maybe some will fall off some more. Well, that's the great fear, isn't it? Right, that if this team ends up getting to that 500 uh, perennial plateau that they can't get away from. They can't even reach it, let alone find a way to get over it. Um, what will happen? Is there any truth to this doom, gloom, doom and gloom mentality that if they start selling off assets that people will, in fact, stop? I mean, I've always argued it is, but do you, do you feel that way, Chris? Do you think it'll be twelve, fifteen thousand 15000 in August and September if this team starts taking away pieces? I think it's possible. I mean, the Blue Jays have it may have changed, but I remember writing an article right before the All Star break that they were the top AL attendance team, and I think they were fourth, third or fourth in all of all of baseball for attendance. I don't think we can expect that to stay the same unless the, they start making a comeback and actually get themselves back into contention. It's going to drop off. Um, I'd be surprised if it fell that far just because of the amount of interest that's been uh, generated in the, in the area in the last couple of years. I think there's, you know, there, there's the Fairweather fans, and then there's the people, you know, I've got some friends that weren't really that big of fans of the Blue Jays 
prior to the 2015 run. But I'm confident they'll continue to follow the team now, you know, even through a rebuild, just because of the relationship that they've made with cheering for this franchise. So I don't think it'll get that bad, but it, it's going to fall off unless they get back into the race. Yeah, it, it'll probably happen. They'll probably go down to, you know, somewhere between fifteen to 20,000. But you know what? I'd rather be in a stadium with 20,000 baseball fans than in a stadium with, you know, a packed house. And don't get me wrong, 50,000 screaming fans is great. But, you know, a good chunk of them are there just because the Blue Jays are in vogue and, you know, they're the hot, trendy item. So true. So true, Eric. Very true. That's right. It's, it, it's never a great thing to wrap up on that kind of note. But at the same token, I like it because it's realistic. And I think that's what's going to determine what happens over the next few weeks with this front office. Are they prepared um, to see who blinks first? Because for many years, this organization, especially during the Ricciardi era, had this elitist notion that if the fans showed up, it would justify them spending money. And one thing that Anthopoulos did so well, and you mentioned that, Eric, was he got rid of that. He basically sat down with Paul Beeston. They agreed that the only way for fans of this team to understand how seriously committed this franchise is to them is that they go out and make the moves and spend the money. And over the next few weeks, we're going to learn what this new regime is all about and if fans have any reason to be optimistic about the future, in many respects, cynical about what happens next. I have been speaking with Eric Rosenheck of Definitely Not Jay's Talk, Cole Shelton of Bluebird Banter, and Chris Henderson of Jay's Journal. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me this afternoon on the round. Thank you for having me. Pleasure as always. Yeah, thanks.